Live from WNUR News, I'm Zach McCrary. And I'm Allie Bianco. And I'm Allie Bianco. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on WNUR 89.3 FM HD1, Evanston, Chicago. It's Monday, November 1st. Tonight, the Reform CAPS advocacy group sits down with the director of CAPS. A profile on Squid Games. And the phenomena of procrastination. All those stories and more coming up tonight on WNUR News at 6. Happy November, everyone. Hope you had a happy and safe Halloween. Our top story of the night. The Reform CAPS Advocacy Group sat down with the director of CAPS and the dean of students to share student experiences and discuss their demands. Speaking with the leaders of the Reform CAPS NU Instagram, Ali Bianco has the story. Content warning. The following story contains discussion of mental illness. For crisis support, text HOME to 741741. I was seen as a liability before I was seen as a human. Literally face every mental health concern you've ever had. Threatened to put me on forced medical leave instead of trying to help me. I told them I felt all alone. On the phone with a complete stranger. Maybe you should schedule another phone call next week? CAPS is incapable of providing any support. Last spring, a new page popped up on Instagram with the handle at reformcapsnu. The advocacy group started publishing personal testimonies of Northwestern students who felt that Northwestern's Counseling and Psychological Services, CAPS, had been unable to help students on campus. Seven months after the page launched, on Monday, October 11th, Reform CAPS sat down with the director of CAPS and the dean of students to share student experiences and discuss their demands. Today, I spoke with Reform CAPS leaders Jenny Bogdanovich, Catherine Zung, and Zahabzida Mayed to talk about their meeting and their next steps. So, one week ago today, you had a meeting with the director of CAPS. How did that get organized? At the end of spring over summer, we were still continuing to talk a lot about like how we want to go forward as an organization and group on campus. CAPS and Dean of Students actually reached out to us before we did. They were willing to open up like an open relationship. So you're preparing for this meeting and you make this magazine with these statistics and these student experiences. Why did you decide to put all your information into this magazine? I think for me personally, like um, zines are a great way of just like storytelling. I have a lot of experience with just design and storytelling that context. Yeah, I think also there's a political history behind making zines. So it's Monday and you're in Scott Hall and you're waiting for the CAPS director to show up. How do you all feel in the moments just before this meeting? I felt ready. After we had the forum, after we made the zine, I was like, I'm ready. It was very impactful just being in like being at the meeting and even before that just like the fact of like we're actually gonna somehow like get at least accountability. And Jenny what was their reaction when you gave them the magazine? I think they were a little shocked. I think that was at least for me part of the reason for bringing the zine and for making it and for having a really concrete culmination of the work that we've been doing was to hand that to them and be like we're serious. 
And so you have this list of demands that you separate into sections. You have releasing CAPS data, releasing policies and procedures, reducing wait times, creating an accountability board, and hiring more diverse staff. Did you talk about all of these demands with CAPS? We go into more detail about a few things in our zine, which is wait times, crisis situations, and referrals. So we really focused on those three because I think they really flow into each other and they really illustrate a lot of the kind of the foundation of why CAPS is failing to serve students. So that's the fact that students can't get an appointment. I mean, they have to wait right now, you know, two weeks, mm -hmm. an artificially shortened wait time because you can't book out past two weeks. Students are struggling to even get an initial appointment. And then students who are in crisis, the crisis line is unpredictable. Um, their policies are unclear. They're not transparent about what happens when you're in a crisis situation. And they've, as we've seen in student experiences, been very invalidating to students about what constitutes a crisis. There have been students told that they're not in crisis when they feel that they are. Um, and then going into referrals, um, since CAPS has a short-term therapy model, it really relies heavily on outside referrals. And if you look at CAPS referral database, it's 70% white, which means that it fundamentally cannot serve its students and cannot serve BIPOC students. Uh, the feedback that we gave um, to administration was a lot about like, um, yes, you started like the same day virtual appointments now that CAPS has started recently, mm -hmm. as well as like um, just this whole thing, like counselors are available for you to talk if you're in a crisis. Well, that is a good initiative. I think it is very important to recognize how Crisis Line or just like CAPS has dealt with crisis situations in the past and how students feel impacted by that. And um, disproportionately BIPOC and marginalized students where it just creates a very um, different like um, level of safety checking that they're um, historically used to. I think also it's important to look at the data that they have given us on crisis situations. Um, and on our page about crisis situations, we pulled this directly from their annual report from 2017 to 2018, which is the last one that they've published. 55% um, of what they called severe and urgent students were transported to the ER. And Northwestern's number of ER transports was almost four times the national average compared to similarly sized schools. So by the end of this meeting, you'd set up weekly meetings, you're meeting with them again tomorrow. What are you hoping to see change? I think we're first coming at it from this approach of transparency. If we don't know what's going on, we don't know what to fix. Mm -hmm. and that includes like their data, releasing annual reports every year. Those should be coming out. They haven't come out, as Jenny said, since 2017, 2018. Right. That's unacceptable. I think also on that transparency piece, um, and crisis situations are a good example of why this is so important, is making it clear to students basic information about how to access CAPS services and what goes on with CAPS. And a lot of that is making their FAQ page, for example, a lot more accessible to students. I think like some immediate next steps that we have in mind are definitely talking about referrals, why that database is just insufficient. But like immediately we want like student experience forms. If a student goes to CAPS, they should have feedback forms and that should be taken into account. So I also want to ask about Project LETS, which is the mental health advocacy and resource organization that Catherine and Jenny, you guys have been trying to bring on campus. Um, are you all officially a campus organization? What's going on with your application? They still have not given us any reply. We were supposed to get a response May 25th, like a yes or no response. And shortly after that, we got no response. So I emailed them asking, where is our response? 
and they were like, oh, we need to talk to CAPS. And what would Project Let's do uniquely that would kind of be like separated from Reform CAPS? Yeah, so we're currently working on support groups and support study spaces, sort of. Those are coming out next week, actually. Awesome. Um, we are also working on a peer mental health advocacy program that's common to all chapters of Project Let's. If Project Let's doesn't get approved, what happens then? So that is something that's pretty common, actually, that happens with Project Let's chapters oh, on wow. campuses. Um, for example, at Brown University, where it first started, it took them a year and a half to get approved. Finally, what's next for Reform Caps? Do you have other events and forums planned? How do you see the rest of the quarter panning out? Um, first of all, working with Caps consistently, as we've talked about, um, focusing on transparency for the next month or so, but also keeping up all the other stuff that we do as an advocacy group. One of the things we want to do in the next couple weeks is paint the rock and that will be publicized when we're going to do that. Um, another thing we want to do is continue having feedback forums because we really are rooted in student experiences and the three of us, the four of us, however many people are in that meeting, we can't represent Northwestern without really centering those student experiences and hearing their feedback. Yeah, and if you could say something to the students that have been contributing to Reform Caps, what would you tell them? I think first and foremost, thank you. Thank you for being brave enough to share what you have shared. A lot of the Google Form responses that we get are really in depth and very personal and we see that and we are really, really working hard to do justice to those stories yes. and represent your stories and your experiences and make real lasting change for students. For WNUR News, I'm Ali Bianco. After the break, Netflix's newest hot show. WNUR News will return after these messages. Stay tuned. Keeping your kids safe on the way to school is a bus driver's responsibility. When that driver is behind the wheel, they should be focused. And when you're driving, you should be focused too. Texting while driving on Illinois roads is illegal and deadly. Drive now, text later. You can't do both. This message brought to you by the Illinois Tollway State Police, Department of Transportation, Secretary of State and AAA. Today, my new dad and I shot off a rocket in the park. Today, my new son and I failed to shoot off a rocket. The rocket launched into the air. And then crashed into the pond. I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget that day, even if I tried. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of kids in foster care will take you just as you are. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Here at the GED Pep Talk Center, we've got a pep talk that can motivate you. 
Sometimes things don't always turn out the way you want them to. You can improve your future. Now get your game face on and take the first step towards a better life. Hurry up. Don't make me repeat myself. Whatever level of motivation you need, we've got a pep talk for you. Call 1-877-38-YOUR-GED or visit yourged.org for your pep talk and for free classes in your area. GED is a registered trademark of the American Council on Education. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Three tours driving Humvees in Afghanistan. Twelve years flying choppers. When my sister came back from her last tour in Afghanistan, she didn't want to talk about it, but she knew I was there to listen. Sometimes my husband still has difficult memories. They can be overwhelming. With the Veterans Crisis Line, I know where to turn when we need support. I made the call and got support for my sister. The Veterans Crisis Line is here for all veterans and their loved ones. Call 1-800-273-8255 and press... Welcome back to WNUR News on 89.3 FM slash HD1, Evanston, Chicago. It's 6.14 p.m. Central, and we have a story on Squid Games, which has become culturally iconic and for good reason. It's become Netflix's most watched series ever. Here's reporter Izzy Pareja with the story. On September 17th, Netflix released Squid Game, one of its newest South Korean drama series with a dystopian twist. Since its debut, the show has captured the attention of well over 100 million viewers worldwide, ranking number one in over 90 countries across the globe. Viewership only continues to grow as the world remains captivated by main character Gion and his fellow players as they fight for their lives and immense fortune through a series of children's games. In asking Northwestern students if they enjoyed the show and why, Weinberg freshman Kira Embler described how the show managed to pull her in. I did enjoy Squid Game. I thought it was a very entertaining show, although somewhat disturbing. Um, I liked the commentary it made on sort of society and the income inequality and capitalism and whatnot. And yeah, I was entertained throughout the entire show. On the other hand, McCormick freshman Rebecca Duckett implied that Squid Game had a more mystifying grasp on her, listing different reasons for keeping up with the show. I did like Squid Game. I mean, I did binge watch it all in two days. Um, I don't quite know why I liked it. It was just entertaining. I kind of started watching it only because everybody was talking about it and I wanted to know what they were talking about. But watching the show, it was kind of, it was kind of like, you know, like a 180 degree, you know, was not expecting it because I did not know what it was about before I started watching it. It seems as though many people were attracted to Squid Game, not only because of its unique concept, but its cinematography as well. Viewers noticed how many scenes were framed to look like famous art pieces, such as The Scream by Edward Munich. When asked about her favorite aspects of the show, McCormick freshman Ellie Lind pointed out the unique appeal of the references hidden in Squid Game's visuals. 
I think the references in it and the general like setup of each game they played, it was very satisfying, like pleasing to see. Especially, I forget what reference it is, but the art reference to the stairways. It's just, it's just like cool to watch, like the producers did a very good job. Docket expressed a similar interest in the show's visual direction, noting the interesting choice in color palette. Oh, and then another thing is the um, the bright colors and childlike imagery used in the, in the show versus the really dark and brutal and kind of violent um, imagery against that scene. The show touches on a variety of themes, making commentary on the pitfalls of capitalism while taking its audience through an emotional, action-packed plot, which Ambler pointed out seems to be contributing to its great success. I think it just appeals to a lot of people with different interests. So some people really like the action, um, other people really like the sort of personal story part of it, other people like the political commentary. Um, you know, I think it just appeals to a wide group. Duckett also offered several more possible explanations for why the show became so popular. I feel like it got popular because, like partially because everybody else was watching it, so kind of, you know, like my reason for watching it is just so I could know what people were talking about, but I think another reason is like the concept, not a lot of, I mean, I don't, I don't feel like I've watched a lot of shows like it, and then another reason I think is kind of like culturally, I feel like a lot of people really like, you know, it's not like quite like a K-drama or K-pop or anything, but I think a lot of people have some sort of fascination with Korean culture. Squid Game is one of the many forms of South Korean entertainment to become popular throughout the U.S. and the rest of the world in recent years. Not too long ago in 2020, director Bong Joon-ho was awarded for his groundbreaking film Parasite, which became the first non-English movie to win Best Picture in the history of the Oscars. K-pop artists are taking the music industry by storm, with bands like BTS garnering unprecedented levels of popularity. South Korea has cemented its position as a powerhouse of the entertainment world, and the popularity of Squid Game only adds to its growing influence. For WNUR News, this is Izzy Perea. Whether you're scrolling through your Instagram feed or talking to your friends in Maine Library, procrastination is common across campus. Connor Casario reports on what procrastination means to Northwestern students. voices of students in the core study space at Northwestern's main library. When I visited CORE and recorded that audio on Sunday afternoon, I noticed that while many students were engrossed in their work, others were doing something probably quite familiar to most listeners, procrastinating. What comes to mind when I say the word procrastination? I guess putting off work that you have a later time, saving it to like last minute, I guess. So not doing work ahead of time or like staying on top of things. That description of procrastination was delivered by Christian Boliet, a first-year social policy and economics major. I spoke to Boliet and a few other students for this segment. As someone who tends to procrastinate on work, side note, that includes this radio segment. I'm so glad my editors don't know how close to airtime I finished. I found these conversations informative and helpful. 
hope others will too. Yeah, I kind of think of like two like different like types of procrastination in a way. One of them is like sitting at a desk, like you have an assignment in front of you and you're checking your phone or you're doing anything else but top of what's in front of you. And the other type is where you're not sitting at your desk, where you don't even want to look at it right now, where you're going out, you're doing something else. You're not even, you don't even have the idea of committing to the work. That was Avery Schwartz, a second-year computer science major. A consensus among the students I talked to seemed to be that, generally, procrastination manifests in either of the two ways outlined by Schwartz. Interestingly, the students I spoke with viewed the second way to procrastinate, doing something completely different from coursework, as opposed to aimlessly whiling away the time, in a more positive light. First-year biology major Lauren Cho expressed this viewpoint. Sometimes I feel like you just need like a brain break, because if you keep going, then you just kind of burn yourself out, a kind of mini burnout, but... So I think that's a positive, like you can get a little brain break or maybe you can have a fun bonding time with your friends, but obviously the negatives are you're pushing off your work and going to make it more difficult for yourself. The idea that so-called procrastination can be productive is an empowering one. Still, as Tro mentioned, there is a fine line to walk between fulfilling oneself in other areas and just not getting coursework done. Schwartz, for one goes through a weekly give and take between completing his coursework and doing other things. This is the group of stuff that has to get done before next time. And this has to get, and this stuff has to get done before next time. And certain things will be like, hey, if this doesn't get done at all, then I just can't go at all. Ultimately, the murmur of voices I recorded at CORE reflects the constant, necessary give and take between procrastination and getting work done that students must go through. After the break, a weather forecast for the next few days and a news briefing to start your week. WNUR News will return after these messages. This is a guided meditation on parenting. Take a deep breath in and let go of the time you and your son played basketball and you attempted to slam dunk or when you hit that piñata into your neighbor's yard. Let it go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who don't need perfection. They need you. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement Allison from the U.S. Department perfect. of Health and Human Services I mean, Adopt U.S. Kids and the Ad Council. She's humble and perfect. She likes everyone. She even likes her untidy roommate's weird guinea pig. Allison, wait, are you texting and driving? Allison, no, that's the exact opposite of what I was just saying about you. Why, Allison, why? Texting and driving makes good people look bad. Visit StopTechStopRex.org, brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to WNUR News. It's 6.24 p.m. Central. I'm Zach McCrary. Here's the weather. November 1st is upon us and a drop in temperatures has come along with it. Lows of 33 degrees in Evanston tonight. You'll wake up to low 40s and sunny skies in the morning. High will be at 46 tomorrow with partly cloudy skies. And now some general news updates. 
Feliz Dia de los Muertos, or Day of the Dead, for those of you who don't speak Spanish. Latinos in Evanston North Shore hosted a celebration at the Gibbs Morrison Cultural Center today. The event had an altar, a plethora of marigolds and crafts for kids, and the Daily Northwestern reported that the event was dedicated to those who have died from COVID-19. COVID cases at Northwestern dipped slightly last week, seeing 44 positive cases compared to 58 the week before. 6,191 total tests were received. The positivity rate is at 0.65%. So, Zach, have you ever celebrated Dia de los Muertos? Honestly, I have not personally. There was a place in my hometown where we would go to, like, this little... It was called the Springs Reserve. I'm from Vegas, everybody, by the way. Um, and so they would do this really cute, like, party they would the, it's basically there's butterflies everywhere it was really cool so yeah yeah no in miami it was uh there was usually celebrations because there is a mexican population in miami that dia de los muertos is really big for the mexican community but really in my house uh it was never celebrated but it's been very cool talking to a lot of latinos here at northwestern who love the holiday plus the food everywhere right oh my god the food during the dia de los muertos is it's incredible like <laughs> yeah it is except it's always after halloween so it's one celebration after the other listen this just more reason to have candy there's there, there is no <laughs> I guess reason that's true. not to have candy i guess that's true and that's all for wnur news at 6 p.m for more news updates and reports follow us on twitter at wnur news you can listen to these and other stories of the day on our spotify google Podcasts, and soundcloud Check us out, too, on our brand new website, WNUR.news. On behalf of our producer, Maria Jimena Aragon, reporters Izzy Pareja, Connor Casario, and all of us here at WNUR News, I'm Zach McCrary. And I'm Ali Bianco. Thank you so much for joining us. Catch us next time on Wednesday, November 3rd at 6. Good night.